Coming up on Stu Does America, the coronavirus crisis may be followed by another crisis on our border. Well, that'd be great. Plus, uh, when do our drastic measures do more harm than good? Leon Wolf joins us to discuss. And, uh, you know, the couple of trillion dollars you're about to spend, you cool with that or, or what? Dan Andros is here to talk about whether the stimulus will work and where your money is going. Speaking of that, your money should be going to Blaze TV. To make sure that that happens, go to blazetv.com slash stew and make sure to use the code stew because that's how they know that you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 10 bucks to spend on toilet paper. If you're checking out the show for free, thank you. And uh, make a commitment, will you? I mean, geez, click subscribe and the bell on YouTube and rate and review the podcast. Plus, don't forget to write Stu Does America in permanent marker on your forehead. That also helps people discover the show. And if you do it, people will naturally socially distance themselves from you. Stu Does America. As we enter yet another week to talk about the coronavirus, we all knew the news was going to get ugly. And we have to unfortunately tell you about a terrible, terrible death. This one came just far too soon. It's the death of another media talking point. Mm. Born about four weeks ago, the media fully embraced the idea that the Trump administration was dangerously incompetent because we were testing for COVID-19 at a much slower pace than some other countries affected with the virus. This was the most important thing in the world for a couple of weeks, if you remember. And initially, it had some validity, at least. Uh, The start of the testing was pretty slow, and it was a problem. Left out of the conversation, of course, was the reason for the failure. Too much dependence on government and too many regulations in the way of the test getting approved and produced. South Korea, the nation held up as the gold standard of testing, did the opposite. They immediately cleared the red tape and let their private sector go to work right away. As the talking point continued, though, to survive and thrive, America started to act more like America and remove the regulations and nonsense that was in the way. The results are pretty amazing. Just last week, Science Magazine was referring to South Korea uh, and their success. Quote, the national testing capacity has reached a Staggering 15,000 tests per day. And that is impressive, I admit. But despite writing, uh, running you know, almost no tests before the first week in March, the American engine has fired itself up. In fact, the same day that that quote ran in Science Magazine was the first day America ran more tests than South Korea. Over 21,000 on Wednesday, 27,000 on Thursday, 34,000 on Friday, 44,000 on Saturday, and 45,000 yesterday. Sometime this week, we will have tested more people than South Korea has since the beginning of all this crap. And the slope of the chart uh, of total tests is incredibly steep. It looks like the chart of my current weight, uh, which is... This is, of course, why we have discovered so many new cases recently. The virus has spread everywhere already. And when you test for it, you find it. It's a relatively simple formula, which brings me to our southern border. Unlike us, Mexico is basically doing nothing to stop the spread of the virus. And here's the thing. If we don't recognize this now and do something to strengthen our border as part of our uh, coronavirus response, none of the sacrifice is going to be worth anything. If you look at the widely reported numbers, you'd be uh, excused to kind of think Mexico is maybe just really lucky when it comes to COVID-19. While our numbers show uh, over 41,000 cases, 
uh, right now. Mexico has shown an incredible immunity to coronavirus, despite having 125 million people living in Mexico in more densely populated areas. There are only 316 cases of coronavirus in all the land. What a miracle! You kind of wonder why anyone would leave that corona-free paradise to come here. Uh, here's the thing. There's just no way that is true. There is no possible way that America has 41,000 cases. A number, by the way, that we all know underestimates the actual total greatly. And Mexico has basically none. The truth is, Mexico has pretty much given the medical version of a shoulder shrug to the pandemic. Without a doubt, their country is at least as ravaged of, of the, by the virus as we are. And unless we address it, this glorious experiment with social distancing isn't going to do us any good. Most recent official data is so haphazard and outdated from Mexico that it shows 316 cases of coronavirus, despite only having conducted 278 tests. I mean, maybe the rest of the positives came came up in the magic eight ball. Do they have one? For coronavirus, let's look into that. While the media was lighting uh, up to the Trump administration in the United States for not doing enough to stop the coronavirus, and the New York Times was running op-eds encouraging Americans to think of it as the Trump virus, the coverage of Mexico was a bit more charitable. Check this out. This is from March 15th, like eight days ago. That's it. This is, you know, this is as Trump is announcing that we shouldn't gather in groups larger than 10. Mexico is doing absolutely nothing. What's the Times headline? Mexico's restrained response to the coronavirus. <laughs> restrained? Does that sound bizarrely positive? Restraint is what I'm supposed to muster when there's an entire red velvet cake in the break room at work. It would be positive if I ever practiced it, but it's not realistic. Sorry to whoever's birthday that was. This isn't late January. This is after the NBA, the MLB, NHL. All their seasons were canceled already. South by Southwest had been canceled. There are already basically no events scheduled in the United States. Germany is closing its borders. Italy is basically in a lockdown. Airlines are being grounded across the world. Major international corporations are closing all of their stores. And Mexico gets noted for their restrained response. I mean, uh, you can't make it up. They're still allowing festivals and they're holding soccer matches there. And forget social distancing. Their president is encouraging people to hug each other. Seriously, quote, look at this thing. Uh, this thing about the coronavirus that you can't hug, Mr. Lobez Obrador said at his daily news conference earlier this month. You have to hug. Nothing is going to happen. <laughs> uh... Yeah, yeah, something might happen. And it's not like the president is making you know, different rules for himself. I will give him that much credit. Uh, he was still in full shaking hands and kissing babies mode. Here's some of the video of it. This is, uh, I mean, if you see, he's kissing this baby. He's curled up right next to her. People are taking selfies with this guy. I mean, look at this. This is not, this is not positive. Here he is. Look at this. This is like a face smash against this poor woman. I mean, it's cheek to cheek. Uh, this, oh, lots of kissing going on. You know, we really should think about social distancing as a, as a longer term concept, because this is just, why do we do it? Why do we do it? I keep thinking to myself, you know, I really don't need to see another human being in my life. Kind of realizing that more and more as we go on. There are porn videos with less close contact than you see in this one. 
Uh, I mean, everyone in it has coronavirus like in a souffle. It's like layers on pond, layers of coronavirus that they're just passing around. The souffle is swimming around their bodies. And this poor little girl, I mean, she was pretty much eaten. Uh, this poor girl, he's taking a bite out of her cheek. There's no excuse for a president of a country to devour a small child like this. Coronavirus or not. Do they have like the Mexican Joe Biden running this country? I mean, is that what's going on down there? But guys, they only have 316 cases nationwide. That's going on down there. But they only have 316 cases. You believe that, right? Right? If you're still thinking that these numbers are correct, let me illustrate it one more way. Mexico has 350 times the population of Iceland. Unlike Mexico, Iceland is an island in the middle of nowhere. Yet Iceland officially has about twice as many coronavirus cases as does Mexico. Once Mexico decides to take this seriously, it's going to realize that there are more coronavirus uh, positives in the country than there are lifetime members of Menudo. I see you there, Ricky Martin. Mm -hmm. Looking good as always. We need to secure the border now because if we don't, there's a good chance panic starts breaking out across that border. And when it does, people are going to realize there's only one place to go where tests are plentiful and trillions and trillions of dollars and bailouts and health measures are all flowing right across that border. And if you're in the United States, the place where all that's happening is in your backyard. If we don't think this out more soon, coronavirus isn't going to be the only crisis we're facing. Happy to welcome back Leon, Leon Wolf uh, to the program. Leon is the managing editor of The Blaze and had a busy weekend publishing a couple of op-eds that we're going to talk about today. First from Friday, make no mistake, social distancing is also going to cost a lot of lives and no one knows how many. And then followed it up this morning with, at some point, President Trump is going to have to have the courage to tell the doctors no. Leon, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me on, Stu. Good to be here. You bring up a really interesting point and you're asking a question that is uncomfortable but very timely here um and this is kind of being portrayed as the choice between either saving lives or saving money and it's a really overly simplistic way of looking at it and not at all accurate is it no, it's not. And, uh, you know, as I was doing this, since I've written this article, I've actually gone back and looked at a bunch of different things to kind of show the absurdity of framing it in those terms. We make these kinds of decisions all the time, and we just don't even think about them. We, we just they take it for granted. So I looked up the most recent data we have, according to NIOSH, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, approximately 400 workers die a year from being electrocuted. Uh, people who work in the electrical industry. And so we say, well, oh my gosh, that's hundreds of people dying to this a year. Are we going to get rid of electricity so that we can save these people's lives? Don't, don't you value people's lives? Why do you want these 400 people here to die? Um, that's a decision we make every day without even thinking about it. And if you do stop to think about it, you think to yourself, it's very tragic to those 400 people and their families. We should do everything we can to take reasonable precautions to make sure that more people don't die than is necessary. But at the end of the day, electricity saves way more than 400 lives a year mm -hmm. uh, in the advances that it allows and permits us to have as a society. And it's it's a lot, the same thing writ large with our economy. 
the, the reason that we are able to provide for longer lives uh, for people and to provide them things like health care and, and those sorts of things is because we have a prosperous economy. You take that away, um, it's we have to at least ask the question, is it going to cost us more lives than it's going to save by the measures that we're currently taking? And what is the flipping point at which continued isolation does more harm than good? Yeah, I mean, because it really is, I think, a natural thing for people to look at the economy and think of that as new flat screen TVs and fancy vacations. And I got a new sofa for my living room. It's it's not that it, it is the essentially the foundation of civilization here. And it's something that it, we all, I think, can realize almost no matter the cost, we have to protect it. The question is trying to find that balance. Right. And it's look. It's easier to trivialize even stuff like a new sofa, a new flat screen TV. Just just the very fact of money moving around in an economy provides things like technological advancement, provides things like people being able to pay taxes and thus avoid, you know, afford vital services, provides things like, you know, uh, jobs for people who produce food and, and, and medicine and, the, you know, the supply chain for medicines of other uh, deadly diseases like that that it's necessary it's not just that we all want to be rich and happy although that that's valuable and, and should be taken into consideration but it's just the people are going to die if we enter into another decade-long global recession which is probably going to happen if we continue this for months and months on end with no one being able to tell us how long we should continue this and there's negative uh, externalities as well not just from the economy but from, just from the idea of people being at home uh, not working, not interacting with other people. Uh, there are health consequences to those actions, too. And do you get the sense that there is someone kind of stepping back and saying, let me look at this whole picture. We understand that the, the threat of the, of the virus is real, but uh, is, is there anyone really considering the entire picture here? Yeah, and, and one of the things I talked about in my article is anytime you see any kind of economic downturn. There are a number of predictable results that happen that, that cause deaths, like quite apart from just economic stuff. We have increases in alcoholism, increases in suicide, uh, increases in you know depression. I mean, stuff that, stuff that people die from. And I'm encouraged at least that uh, President Trump seems to be saying, and, and he's kind of started on his Twitter last night, he's at least thinking to himself, there's going to come a point where what we're doing is worse than the worst possible forecast for the disease. And I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm not trying to say I don't care about those people. I don't, I don't think anybody is really trying to say that. It's just that <laughs> shutting down the American economy is also really bad and is also going to cause a lot of people to die. And someone needs to be thinking about it. And I'm encouraged that the president is at least appearing to think about it based upon what he's tweeted last night, that we need to reevaluate this every week. And there, there's going to need to come a point where, and we do this all the time, you know, we would say, look, it would be better if we could wait for this, this and this and this. And eventually a decision has to be made. Look, I'm sorry. America has to go back to work. Not for the sake of the stock market or my being reelected or anybody having more money. It's just that this economy that we've created is the single biggest benefit to human health, safety, and happiness that has ever existed. And we cannot allow it to be destroyed um, it, it, in the absence of like 
belief that we would all literally die otherwise. And I don't think that anybody is saying that. I think one of the things, and that's a great point, I think, I think one of the things that the government is bad at is doing a cost-benefit analysis. A lot of times we see when it comes to a big fancy spending bill, what we do is a benefit analysis. This many people will be helped. Um, and here it seems like what we're doing is a cost analysis, right? We're just looking at this as just the real negatives of what happens if we let people go back to work. And we're not really looking at the benefits of the economy that we're losing. We're not looking at that. Um, and I, I feel like this is a, a central problem, and you hit on it in, in, in the columns, um, where it's a, it's, a, it's a flaw with progressivism at, the, at its core, which a lot of times progressives will argue, let the scientists run this, let the experts run this, let experts do this. And that's not their role. Their role isn't to see the entire picture. Their role is only to see a very specific slice of it. And when you put... Um, a scientist or a doctor, they may be absolutely the most educated on this, but if they're not looking at the whole perspective, they're not able to make the decision that's necessarily best for the people being governed. Yeah, I I don't personally engage in the business of second guessing doctors who have spent their entire lives studying these things uh, on what they say about the medical condition. So I take for granted um, that, you know, this is a very serious problem and that, that if we don't do something, there, there could be catastrophic consequences. I'm not trying to question that. But they're not in a good position to say, what are the consequences if we don't? What are the consequences to the rest of the economy if we don't? Because they're not economists. Mm-hmm. And, and for the most part, they're not social scientists who have looked at the research. And they're, by the way, there's a lot of science. There's a lot of research. There's a lot of expertise that conclusively shows that the wealthier people are, the healthier they are, the longer they live. And, and the better lives they have. I mean, literally having money saves lives. And that's that's a, a point that they that progressives do know and understand when they, they throw about things like racial inequality. And they, they understand it very well when they're making those arguments. When we talk about something like this, it suddenly gets forgotten uh, somehow. Mm. So you're looking at this uh, from your perspective. H- how much time do we have here? Because I think the American people were like, you know what? Trump came out and said 15 days. And it was, a, it was a, I think, a, a good level to set because it was attainable and it was close to, you know, it was nearby. We can get through a couple of weeks of pretty much anything. But at some point, the American people are going to look at this and say, this is too much. We can't keep going down, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars in the Dow every week. I, I can't stop. I need money to be able to pay for things. There are basic needs that the American people need. And this, we're not China. We're not used to being trapped in our homes How much time is there before the American people say, you know what, no more of this? You know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know the answer to what is the tipping point? What is the point at which us staying home becomes more damaging than the the virus? I I don't know those answers. I I will say that my own kind of layman's perspective on this is that that I've heard a lot of people say, well, it's going to be like this until the end of July. That, I think, should just be ruled out. Like, I think Trump should be telling people right now, the people who are in his inner circle who are saying, we need to be prepared for this to happen at the end of July, he should probably just be, look, that, I'm sorry, that's not going to happen. I, I, I know that you would like to have until the end of July, but uh, we need, we got to figure out the best we can within, you know, a more reasonable. I think maybe another probably two, three, four weeks is the tops that you can expect to see without some major consequences. And not just from the from the fact that people like sitting around, you know, their their houses going crazy, but also, I mean, it's it's going to cause unemployment numbers to, to become to the point where we're probably going to start seeing, you know, riots in the streets. I mean, if you remember back in 2009, Europe 
got hit with a recession worse than we did. Um, it didn't get much press here in America, but when France was looking at 25% unemployment, their country was on fire. I mean, they were widespread rioting. And I think that that sort of thing will probably happen here if this continues uh, for probably more longer than I would say, maybe three or four weeks. That's my best guess, but I just don't know. Okay. Um, we have one more minute here. The, 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 the government is basically just going to try to buy us out of whatever it is, two weeks, a month, a month and a half, and just spend basically backstop every single business in the United States and every person in the United States in multiple ways. It's an ambitious project. Democrats are currently trying to hold this up over, I think, wanting to get funding for windmills and uh, all sorts of pet projects that they've wanted for a very long time, reading the pressure. Just politically speaking, I mean, this seems like it's a it's a bad idea by Democrats just talking straight politics to try to get in the way of this bill. Republicans have already moved a long way. We're talking multiple trillions of dollars here. How do the politics of this play out? It is like an unalloyed nightmare for the Democrats right now. I mean, when you have the New York Times accidentally accurately reporting headlines, <laughs> which is that the Democrats are, um, you know, blocking stimulus funding, you know things are bad. I mean, even though they've kind of changed it, they've, they've come back around in that same headline to kind of say, and I, I, I imagine your viewers will know what I'm talking about here. Um, it, it's it's terrible. And, and the Democrats have gotten away with it so long that they just figured they could probably play this rope out forever and the media would cover for them forever. But I, I really think and look, this even gets me as somebody who's like a really hardcore libertarian. Um, this is kind of the sort of thing that government is for. I'm skeptical of a lot of things the government is doing, but I'm not tremendously uh, upset about this stimulus package just because this is a completely once in a lifetime, maybe once in 10 lifetime situation here. And I think that the, if the sooner the Democrats recognize that and get on board, probably the better for America. And if they don't, I think that they'll pay a pretty heavy price. Mm. Leon Wolf, uh, managing editor of The Blaze. Thanks so much for being on the program. Uh, and speaking of The Blaze, by the way, don't forget to consider a subscription to us over at Blaze TV. Head to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew for $10 off and let us know that you like the show and, and don't hate Leon because he would he would hate that if you did something like that. Back in a second. Such a such an interesting time we're living through right now. I kind of get lost in all of the doom and gloom as opposed to how the heck we get out of this. And then all that all comes together at some point, I guess, in Washington, where they try to figure out what to do? They want to pass a giant bill, uh, spending a lot of money uh, to try to make sure that we can put this thing back together again. Uh, it's kind of the good old Humpty Dumpty approach here, and hopefully it actually works. It's the politics of it are so interesting, though, because you really see that like the people who are very skeptical of how much damage the disease is going to do or the virus is going to do tend to be kind of big Trump supporters. Uh, and then the biggest... It, opponents seem to think it's going to be a really big deal. Yet the, 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 their opinion on Trump hasn't really changed. Where like the big Trump supporter says it's going to be, it's kind of a, you know, we need to move on. We need to go on with the economy. This isn't going to be as bad as they say, but isn't critical of Trump for really asking for some of the most restrictive uh, situations we've seen the entire time. Uh, ten, you know, no meetings of more than 10 people, stay home if it's at all possible, uh, only essential people really being out. Um, now, Trump is kind of coming back on that a little bit. It seems like this week, it seems like the tide has turned on that with uh, with his base. And we're kind of talking a little bit more about getting back uh, into the economy. I would say that 
it's kind of interesting, though, that the criticism hasn't gone to Trump for those restrictions. On the other side, the real critics of Trump, who have, you know, dislike everything that he does, are still just as critical of him as they were back in January when no one was really talking about this. They were still trying to impeach the guy. Instead, it's one of those things where he's taking it very seriously. He's obviously, uh, you know, given tons of resources to to this. He wants multiple trillions of dollars to spend to repair the economy. And they're just like, oh, he's he's not doing enough. They haven't changed it all either. It really is a fascinating uh, thing to develop. Um, What is typical of every politician in this situation is to try to lump in whatever your pet issue is with the crisis. It's the good old Rahm Emanuel, never let a crisis go to waste. That's been in practice. Uh, seriously, it's happening with the Democrats who are trying to get things like uh, windmills and, uh, you know, gasoline standards, uh, you know, fuel standards for airlines worked into a coronavirus rescue bill. It's bizarre. And honestly, it's shameful what Democrats are doing right now with this bill. Um, and it's been kind of passed around to um, not only just politicians, but even sort of the cultural response. Idris Elba had this, uh, he's the actor, he had this kind of this big, you know, everyone opened their hearts and felt terrible that this guy is going through uh, coronavirus. Uh, he's tested positive for it. And then he's got to go on social media and bring his pet issue into it to lose all the sympathy. Watch. Our world has been taking a kicking. You know, we've damaged our world and you know it's no surprise that our world is reacting to the human race there's no surprise that a virus has been created that is going to slow us down and ultimately make us think differently about our world and ourselves that's like a real for me that's a standout thing that's very obvious that this is almost like the world's cry out to like hey 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 you're kicking me you know, and what you're doing is not good. So I'll get rid of you as any 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 organism would do is try and get rid of an infection. And maybe this is it for the world. So mm, that's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. You know, it's always it's funny. It's always people um, uh, on the left who do this. And many times it's people who are. Uh, people who are against, um, you know, maybe not faith people who are, you know, deeply religious. And they kind of have this view of the earth as this sort of mother nature, this organism that's, you know, what's deciding it's going to fight off that virus with a virus. The human beings are a virus. First of all, I find I have a real problem with with human beings who think human beings are a virus. Like this place was, you know, the whole the old song, um, pave paradise and put up a parking lot. Keep the parking lot. Uh, the parking lot does something for us. Uh, paradise, it wasn't all that much paradise. You know what life was when it was like that, when before pavement? It sucked. Okay? Everybody walked around. They had to eat leaves. They were wearing clothing made out of leaves. Uh, everyone died at like 30 years old. That world sucked. That's not paradise. Because there's a couple flowers that looked pretty, don't get too excited about it, okay? Counting crows. It's not all that great. Okay? And I know, I know that was a remake, but... I feel like there's a a tad more relevant, and it's only a tad at this point. The bottom line here is when you look at human beings as a virus, you're looking at it wrong. When you're looking at the Earth as an organism, you're looking at it wrong. It's not an organism. That's not what the Earth is. It's a planet, okay? planet has a lot of organisms on it, but it's not itself an organism. It's not making decisions. It's not like, you know, I need to fight off that virus. That's not what happens here. Uh, that's That's not real. And it's one of these things where it's people who, generally speaking, are very doubting of uh, maybe a a higher power that seem to see things that way. 
And look, you can argue all you want that there's no proof of, of, uh, of a God or whatever, and that's fine. You can, you can do that. However, you have to admit that you, you're making an, a, a very large logical leap as well, looking at the earth as, a, uh, as an organism that's making decisions about what it's going to kill off that's, that's endangering it. That's not how this works. That's not science. This idea that, you know, making the world a better place equals making it a place with none of our modern, um, uh, you know, modern things that we enjoy. It's really a crazy thing. I love how it's, it's put out there on a social media with a, with a phone camera. Like, these are all things that are fighting against your, your viewpoint on the world. And, you know, you don't have those things if, you have the, if you're paving paradise and putting up a parking lot. Well, no, the other way. If you go back to paradise. Paradise sucks, okay? Paradise is, uh, in, the, in the Counting Crows uh, uh, construction of paradise, it's awful, man. There's, no, there's not even a freaking Dunkin' Donuts, Okay? There's nothing. No McDonald's. No Taco Bell. What else is there to live for, honestly? I don't know. Um, it's been interesting to watch uh, the media try to push Donald Trump, this person, who they say is the most evil person in the world, all he is is a fascist, wants to take over everything, take all of the power away. And they are trying to position him um, and then push him towards nationalizing all sorts of companies and uh, and in industries to fight coronavirus. And look, it's a you want to you want to stop it. You want to do everything that you, that you can do. But if this guy is so bad, why do you keep fighting with him to take more power? I don't understand it. I haven't understood it when we were talking about the Second Amendment and I don't understand it here. Here's Donald Trump when asked about nationalizing things. We're a country not based on nationalizing our business. Uh, uh, call a person over in Venezuela, ask them, how did nationalization of their businesses work out? Not too well. Uh, the concept of nationalizing our business is not a good concept. But I'll, I'll tell you why, as Peter said, we may have to use it someplace along the chain, but we're getting calls. Here's the beauty of it. If we go out and we want, let's say, masks, we don't know who to call on masks, but Haynes, who makes things of cotton, various elements, lots of things. It's a great company. They called us and they said, we're going to make millions of masks. We got a call today from 3M. There's a big article today, the head of 3M. They're going to make tremendous products and they're more or less in that business. And if they're not, like for instance, General Motors spoke to us, Ford spoke to us about doing uh, ventilators. Uh, the beauty is they're calling us. Uh, if you go the national route, nationalization route, we're going to tell a company to make a ventilator. They don't even know what a ventilator is. Uh, look, you know, things of cotton aside, this is a great point from Donald Trump. Um, this has been something that's oddly been going around social media, this idea that there's no libertarians in a pandemic. Well, you know, what we're seeing here is you don't necessarily need the federal government to do a lot of these things. States have done a lot of them. Um, and what you're seeing here is just companies saying, you know what, I care about this country. We're not the evil caricature. The, we're not the cartoon character that the Democrats make us out to be in this evil for profit only type of, of vibe. We're we're wanting this to be a success. We want to stop coronavirus. We care about the people that we serve. And so they're stepping up without being without it being uh, forced through federal law and just doing it. They're calling the White House and saying, let us help, despite the fact a lot of these companies probably disagree with this White House on a lot of things. This is a good positive uh, thing where we learn about how companies actually aren't Satan, which is nice. Dr. Uh, Fauci was out there as well uh, with Trump uh, talking about um, 
whether nationalizing businesses is the right thing from his perspective. Watch. What the president was saying is that these companies are coming forth on their own. And I think that's an extraordinary spirit of the American spirit of not needing to be coaxed. They're stepping forward. They're making not only masks, but PPEs and now ventilators. So what we're going to be seeing, and, and we're seeing it already, in the beginning, obviously, there was an issue with testing. The testing now, a, a, a large number of tests are available now out there because the private companies have gotten involved. That's great stuff. Uh, let's also go with one more here. A doctor on CNN giving something, a response about Trump's performance that I don't know if CNN expected. Dr. Randy, let me start with you, because this is a public health crisis, first and foremost. What did you hear as a doctor that brings us closer to a medical solution? So first and foremost, in the prepared remarks, I was just thrilled with what Trump and Pence and Surgeon General Adams had to share. The response by the federal government in terms of mobilizing ships, um, authorizing the Defense Production Act, and helping to get supplies where they're needed are exactly what medical professionals across the country are asking for. You've seen a little bit of this throughout this period where some people who you might think didn't, wouldn't like Donald Trump are praising what he's doing now, even if they question what he did early on. That's really positive. We saw that after 9-11, where people came to the table and said, hey, uh, look, Bush, we don't like him on these things, but he's doing a good job on this. I think you saw that uh, somewhat after uh, Barack Obama was uh, he went over there physically with his bare hands and killed Osama bin Laden. I remember being very excited about that, even though we kind of, you know, wasn't exactly the perfect uh, response and we might not like all of those things. It's easy to come together in a moment of crisis or a moment of national achievement and praise someone who's on the other side. I had no problem doing that. You don't see it a lot from the media. You are seeing it from a lot of the medical professionals here, which I think has strengthened uh, the response. I think it's been able to uh, keep the government on the right track. The question, though, is how long can this last? We can't do this forever. And we're going to get into that uh, here in the coming days as well. How long can this go on? Uh, we'll come back in a second with more. Doc Dan Andros is unfortunately a Redskins fan, first of all, which is a sad part of his life, but also a managing editor of Faithwire.com, much more uplifting. It's a website that I'm assured is almost completely 100% heathen free. It's true. Check it out at Faithwire.com and be sure to head to their YouTube channel as well and subscribe to see all their videos. Uh, Dan, uh, let's talk stimulus here for a second. We've been through the economic stimulus thing before. It winds up always being a mess at some level, and this seems to be no exception. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it, I don't know why we keep going to these things. Uh, I don't know. There's no really historical precedent that they've worked. I mean, you know, you could argue that parts of them, when they do tax breaks and things of that nature, maybe are good. But uh, when you look back, you know, from history, you go to as far back as I think the first one that they really know of is Hoover. And everyone kind of assumes that the stock market just, you know, crashed and we had 25 percent unemployment back in 1929. But what actually happened was the stock market crashed in October of 1929 and unemployment like kind of held steady, I think, around like nine, eight, eight, ten percent, something somewhere around there. And then nine months later, you know, after they get some coalitions together and all this stuff, Hoover then puts in uh, the the stimulus package there. And then within a year, the unemployment rate had doubled to 16%. Mm. Then once FDR eventually gets in, yeah. you know, they keep spending and then it's up to 30, it's up to uh, 24%, you know, 25%, the highest 
in American history. So, um, you know, I think we've seen what this pattern uh, does. Uh, and it's it's usually not good. And George Bush and Obama proved the same thing. So to me, this is more political posturing uh, than anything else. Yeah, it's interesting. We, there are some projections that say we might be uh, challenging that 25 percent record here uh, in the next few months, which is hard to believe, though. I mean, when you look at it, they basically shut the country off. So there's a chart that's floating around about uh, restaurant activity falling uh, something like 99 percent which is difficult to recover from. Um, and what's kind of disturbing about it is how everyone tries to just jam in. And in this case, I think the Democrats are, I like, I'll tell you if I think both sides are doing it, the Democrats are much more guilty in this particular one yeah. where they're trying to jam in you know, subsidies for windmills, uh, new uh, fuel standards for airplanes, like the, all sorts of yeah. nonsensical disconnected stuff. And this is just pure partisan nonsense, is it not? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. hundred percent. You just mentioned those things and it's, uh, you know, I think collective bargaining powers for unions was another one mm -hmm. I'm looking at here. Uh, the, the wind and solar mm -hmm. tax credits, you said that the fuel standards and what do those have to do with the coronavirus? They have absolutely nothing to do with it. And this quote from James Clyburn, Stu, uh, I want to read because this to me sums it up. This is a tremendous opportunity to restructure things to fit our vision. Why are you trying to do things to fit your vision right now? Like, that's not what this is about right now, James. What this is about right now is we have a country that you're telling everybody. I mean, Pennsylvania, where I live, has just been I just got a text today from my from my county, you know, from my county uh, saying we've gotten the shelter in place thing and we can't go out unless it's for life saving things. Now, thankfully, I consider Big Macs and Taco Bell part of my life saving uh, daily operations. So, I mean, I think I'm completely justified to go to the to the uh, drive through in, in in McDonald's if it's still open. I don't know if it's still open, but um, but that's where we're at. And so I think, yeah, they jam these things in here. And I, me personally, I just don't see they're, they're projecting this thing to go on for months. So it's like, what what are these stimulus going to do where you get a small bit back to people? And and one other point too, before I forget. They're, in, they're trying to say that they're going to, for all these people unemployed, they're going to just pay them four months salary and all this stuff. Wouldn't that incentivize companies to just lay everybody off and just have the government pay them for four months? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. I mean, it's funny because they are trying to hit uh, all of these different levels at the same time, right? Whether it's give or we'll give loans to small businesses and then if they pay their employees with the loans, then they're no longer loans. They're just giveaways, which is not it's that's not a loan. That's just a conditional giveaway. Uh, you have money going straight to the people. You have money going to the big businesses for for other loans. But you're right, especially the especially when it comes to a larger business. Why wouldn't you move on and let let this happen? They're going to try to put penalties in here. But this is the thing. This is why central planning doesn't work. Right. It's difficult to micromanage an entire economy. Yeah. And I don't know what, how long we think we can pay for every employee and every company in the United States, but it's not that long unless I've really misunderstood how much uh, money we are, uh, it, uh, we actually have in the bank. Because my understanding is we're $22 trillion in debt. Yes, that's the other problem with this. I mean, to me, it's one thing. Where's the government? Like, why? Are, and, I, and again, I haven't studied the full details of all these different plans. I mean, Pelosi just put one out today. Mm -hmm. But to me, the first thing you should do is just, you know, do all the tax cuts. Just get all the tax cuts out of there. Lift all the tax burdens. Why don't they ever give that holiday? That never, that one never seems to come in there. It's always these. We don't have this money to print and spend. Like we just don't have it. 
um, you can, it seems like you can lighten the load going forward with, with, you know, uh, tax breaks and just, why not just lift the taxes for now? But they, they never seem to go that route. Um, to me, this always ends up being politicians having a lack of spine in these situations. Like, I, I don't know how you look at these things and think they're actually going to work because what, what does the average American get? I think when Trump's proposal was going around, they said it was going to be two $1,000 checks. If you're that hard up, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do? So $2,000 go by and you still don't have a job. What are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> you're, you know, you're, you're just stuck and the economy is still in the, in the tank. Yeah. So um, to me, these things are a lack of um, backbone by politicians to actually realize that Americans sometimes have to go through hard times before we get to better times. And we got to be prepared for that. Yeah. And look, there's um, there's there's no way this isn't anything but a short term solution. Maybe it can get us through a few weeks if that's going to be enough. So let me get bring you back to one other point here, which is we both would be generally like you asked me about a bailout package. I'm pretty much a firm no from minute one. Like that's and I think you're the same way, like pretty much no. Is this one different, though? This is something where the government is saying, look, you can't run your business. It's not your business is failing. It's not that you've made bad decisions. You are not allowed to open. And if we're going to if if this is a serious enough threat that we really need to close the economy down for a few weeks. I mean, we have to do something for the average person who is being forced to not go to work, don't we? I think there's an argument to be made there, but but I don't think the things they're doing match up to that. They look more like the typical stimulus stuff that mm-hmm. that that they're doing. Like if it's and and that the other assumption there is that it's only going to be for a couple of weeks. Like I could see like okay, if we had a specific deadline and we said, hey, for one month we're gonna you know anybody who has to get out of work for this, we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to give you interest free loans and all this stuff. You know, whatever they can do, I I think there is an argument to be made there, but I I just don't think that the things they're proposing, and again, with all the pork and all the other things jammed in there, it just doesn't seem like that fits the narrative of of them trying to do common sense things that help. It just seems like it ends up being more of the same old stuff that goes along with the stimulus. I I always like your political analysis, and I I bring you on and I make you talk about that. Let me ask you one, one interesting question, I think, about faith, because you work at Faithwire. You're looking at this all the time. Churches are closed. They're having services are going on and they're going on through phones and they're going on through laptops. If you're lucky, how does this reshape uh, the, the, the faith world here as we go through a period of really un, it's, it's unprecedented? It is totally unprecedented and it's uh, it's weird uh, because we're supposed to gather together. But I think it's, you know, I mean, technology, there's a lot of negatives on technology. I mean, just go on Twitter for five minutes and you'll <laughs> you'll see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but I think, you know, it's a what a great blessing it is that we were able like we went we did our church on online uh, this weekend. And we actually our scroll, our small group uh, met on Zoom just for a few minutes uh, uh, over dinner last night. So um, so it's really cool that we're able to actually try to stem the tide of and, and the spread of this disease and still be able to remain somewhat uh, connected. So um, hopefully it's just a tool that we can use in the short term. And hopefully there's nothing like long term that needs to be really looked at here because it's not really the way we're supposed to meet as a church. We're still supposed to be together, um, you know, and, and obviously technology is as close as we can get with that. But um, so I think it's actually really cool that this is happening now, because if this were happening before yeah. cell phone time and, and all this, I mean, this would be really, really weird. <laughs> it really would. Uh, Dan Andros, managing editor at FaithWire.com. Thanks very much for coming on the program. Don't forget to check out FaithWire's new YouTube page. You're going to love the content that they post there. Make sure to subscribe. Dan, thanks again. Back in a minute.
Thanks so much for tuning into the program. Please make sure to share. If you know someone who's conservative, who you think likes stupid content like the stuff that we do, I'd really appreciate you sharing the, uh, and spreading the word like a virus.